0: Hi, I'm Daniel Torres Dwyer, and welcome to Alice International's Career Success Podcast. Olga Geru, originally from Russia, served at various executive roles in leading consumer goods and healthcare companies, such as Danone, Novartis, and more recently as Commercial Vice President and Regional Head for Mars Inc. Through her entire career, she's been praised for her strategic thinking, perspective, extreme curiosity, as well as strategic partnership development and transformational skills. In 2019, last year, Olga founded Innopearl. Olga believes in the huge potential of entrepreneurs to inject positive value with innovations for the business, society, and environment. As the CEO of Innopearl, she helps entrepreneurially minded executives of large and nimble organizations to develop partnerships leading to disruptive market growth. To further explore these partnerships between smaller companies and bigger ones, She's the guest of our podcast today. Hi Olga, thanks for joining us today.
1: Hi Daniel, thank you for inviting me to do this podcast.
0: Excellent, so as I mentioned before, a lot is happening in the consumer goods industry right now, but I would like to ask you, Olga as an expert of this industry, what's happening today in the consumer industry environment?
1: Excellent, thanks for asking, Daniel. Let's look at what's happening in consumer industry environment from the lenses of the forest industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. And what we can see is that the global scale Access to capital and privileged relationships with mass distributors that were bringing growth advantage to large FMCG players is not working as it used to be anymore. According to a study that was done by McKinsey a couple of years ago, companies with turnover above eight billion they grew organically at a twice lower rate than nimble brands with turnover below two billion. Mm. And if we look at 19 half-year results that have been reported by large players, we can see that this trend is not actually moving away. Companies like Nestle, Unilever, Danone, Mondelez, General Mills, they are definitely doing a great job in improving margins and earnings per share, but their organic growth is hardly reaches a low-digit 3%. And if we look at Nimble players during the same period, they are growing three to four digit rate. So companies like Chech Veggies, Universal Yams, Uptime, or Perfect Snacks, which are more known um, in the United States, they are capturing a lot of market growth. And in certain areas, this goes up to 30% of category growth is going to Nimble players. Mm-hmm if we consider that those companies are not direct competitors of large consumer good industries, that's a little bit diminishing approach. Why? Because there are so many of those, and their expansion today is not anymore fueled by pocket money. It is fueled by VC investors. And therefore, they have ability to develop disruptive innovations desired by consumers mm-hmm. and capture the growth in uh, certain categories, as I said. And at the end, both well-established large players and recent nimble brands are fighting for the same consumers. And feels like those nimble brands today are a little bit more successful in attracting the um, growth than the large brands.
0: Yeah, absolutely. How are large FMCG companies responding to the challenge that these smaller, innovative companies are representing.
1: Well, the um, large FMCG companies, they are definitely very well aware of what is happening. Disruption, agility, pace, all words that CEOs have been using for the last couple of years. What they've done is, many organizations appointed new CEOs and you probably have seen that companies as PepsiCo, Mozilla, Unilever, Nestle, they all brought a new generation of leaders and what they this new generation of leaders started doing is mobilizing resources to become faster, more innovative, and agile. So, this is one thing that they're doing, but there are three more. The first answer that they're putting is putting more pressure on R&D teams. They want R&D teams to build pipeline of innovations and execute them much, much faster than ever before. But let's face it. Despite this pressure from the boards, internal teams in large groups are struggling to deliver disruptive innovations. Also, if we look today at what millennials are looking for a product, they are not looking for a better taste or a little bit better taste. They are not necessarily looking only for a new flavor. They are looking for product experience. Therefore, companies need to blend innovations in uh, product recipe with innovations in such areas as sustainability, as distribution, as supply chain, as experience or service. And if we look back in those large companies, who is responsible for, let's say, innovation in consumer services or in supply chain? Or mm-hmm. in sustainability. Not really R&D space, right? Mm-hmm. So that is the first answer. The second answer is definitely MA. MA, particularly scope transactions, those that are designed to enhance capabilities and open up new markets, grew really fast over the last few years. Examples of such M&As would be SodaStream acquisition by PepsiCo yeah. or yeah, you've heard about this, Daniel Mars acquisition of um, Anycura and Linnaeus. This tactic is a great one or this strategy is a great one, but it has few challenges as well. Firstly, these acquisitions are very expensive. We are speaking today about a multiplier somewhere between 16 and 25, and it can be, it can be low. It can be higher, but that's at pretty much the average. The reason for it is that the large assets grow scarce and private equity firms provide more and more funding for these companies. Secondly, these acquisitions, they are bringing only temporary solution. First, because... Integration of innovators with very different culture, with completely different working practices, decision-making, and entrepreneurship mindset is extremely difficult. And even if it happens, let's imagine this happens. You can be sure that innovative culture that this uh, acquired company is bringing in will most likely go away. And uh, $1 Shave Club acquisition by Unilever is a good example of it. Mm. And also, if you speak today to the CEOs of major companies and you would ask what are your predictions of how the consumers' preferences would shift, nobody has an answer. And for a good reason. The only answer is we need to be agile. So when you put so much money in acquisition, and you put so much effort in integrating the acquired entity, and you know that probably in two three years, there will be something else that consumers will be attracted to. It's a challenging approach, right? So that yeah. was the second answer. And there is a third one which became extremely popular with major corporations. And all industry leaders like Dundon or Unilever, Pepsi, Nike, they are all very active internal and external innovation partnerships. Mm -hmm. And these partnerships was nimble players, startups or scale-ups became unavoidable. And here is the thing. While these partnerships is absolutely the right thing to do, they are not an easy win-win. Another survey done uh, this time by Boston Consulting Group carried out somewhere in June. So, it is is pretty recent. And it showed that while 65% of corporations reported having had some interactions with startups over the last few years, only 8% of corporates and 13% of startups rated themselves as very satisfied by those collaborations. Wow. Isn't it interesting?
0: Yeah. It's very low
1: it is very low and the risk is that it will create over time a partnership fatigue and i can see already that in certain instances and in some areas this is happening already it is not corporations who would be choosing which startups or scale-ups they want to partner with it will be the other way around mm. startups and scale-ups will be the one in the choosing seat, which partners, which corporations they want to work with in order to promote their idea, to promote their purpose, and obviously generate scale and a new retail channel. That is becoming something that companies should expect to happen in the next few years on a much, much broader scale.
0: hmm I'll ask you in a minute what's the recipe to make a partnership successful, but before that what benefits do big FMCGs get from partnering with small innovators? And also, on the other hand, what is the benefit for a smaller company to start partnering with a big FMCG? Why is that yeah. better than the other solutions?
1: That's an excellent question, Daniel. Obviously, if companies are partnering with each other, there are benefits for other than just learning from each other from the business standpoint. So, let's imagine that we found a way to eliminate obstacles which are staying on the way of corporates and nimble innovators to partner with each other successfully. Let's imagine that we managed to bridge the cultural working practices, decision-making, pace, and scale-related differences. Let's imagine that we established a very special and rare relationship between those who hold disruptive innovations and know why consumers would love to use them, and those who know how to execute those innovations at large scales. So, what will happen? For corporate, few things. And let me quote just three of them because the list otherwise can be uh, much, much longer. Mm -hmm. Well, the first is corporations would be in the position to build and execute innovation pipeline at variable cost. Let me explain this a little bit. Mm -hmm. To successfully drive growth agenda, every corporation needs a pipeline of innovations that they would fund, resource, and execute in priority within a period of next 12 months, three years, or five years, it differs by corporation. This pipeline exists today at any company, and occasionally they contain a really great innovative idea. But in most cases, corporations move same old ideas through the years, hoping it would be picked up one day by the executive team. And at the end, all they execute is a few more novelties, new tastes, new packaging, or improved recipes. Mm. These novelties will obviously come along with more SKUs and therefore more complexity to manage. But same old stuff. If the corporations were... In connection, in close connection with nimble innovators, they can actually easily expand scope innovation to, in, of innovations to areas which consumers are very attentive today about, and they desire them, and do it with much more agility and pace. This innovation pipeline would then include probably 10 or 20 or 50 fresh and innovative ideas that can help to solve the most complicated business problems or consumer needs. And this won't be just in the area of the product itself. It can be, as I said before, in the area of supply chain. It Mm -hmm. can be something related with, with a new service or a completely different experience or a completely different way of bringing the product to the consumers. And the beauty of it is that this approach would require no expensive investment and the external ideas and those solutions that extremely talented R&D teams develop, they can complement each other and create a new blend of innovations for the consumer. Mm -hmm. So that's the first advantage, building and executing innovation pipeline at variable cost. The second advantage or benefit, I would say, is that corporations can go to market with agility and 10 to 100 times faster speed than they've ever done. Why? Because traditional product development timeline is two, three years. And there are some examples I know that, nonetheless, have achieved a, a market with a new innovation in just six months. But those are rather exceptions than a rule. Let's now imagine that you actually have a set of innovations that have already been developed, have already been tested, or potentially even marketed in other industries. They can be then pretty quickly integrated by the company and tested in a given market. And when successful, then partners may decide to expand this product to more geographies mm-hmm. or reiterate and try something different. Yeah? So that will be for me the second benefit from such partnerships. The third is the corporations can achieve disruptive market growth. And I think this one is critical because this will be an organic growth and not necessarily non-organic growth. They don't need acquisition for doing this. Let me give you an example. So, let's look at um, iPhone example. yeah? Yeah. iPhone or iPod or iPad. We all know Steve Jobs and we all know how passionate and how impressive capabilities he had in building user interfaces and design. Yeah. But... Not many people know that majority of innovations and technologies that were put into Apple products are not outcome of internal Apple R&D teamwork.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, I had no idea about this, to be honest.
1: Absolutely. What Steve Jobs had is a vision of how his product should look like. Then he would attract external innovators to support realization of this vision. As an example, a screen that we are um, very familiar with, this screen touch that yeah. continues, well, it certainly delights me today. It was made possible thanks to Corning Gorilla Glass. And for a small anecdote, when Steve Jobs realized that there was a pattern for this glass and when he reached out to Corning guys, he realized that they had no market for it. To the point where they stopped the production of this glass. Steve Jobs told them, hey, you have six months to reopen your production unit because we're going to use them. So, that's what made um, the successful Sevi Bland, if you wish, of external innovations with some of the core things that the company can do Enable jobs to successfully uplift the consumer value and also lead the company through incredible organic growth many years, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And so, if now let's go kind of more recent examples, if we look at those nimble brands within consumer industry, the ones that we um, spoken about, which can be viewed as direct competitors or challengers for large FMCG companies, they are actually using exactly the same approach in innovation. They have frugal internal resources, right? They don't mm-hmm. have massive R&D teams. So, what they do is, they establish competitive advantage by partnering with dynamic and agile ecosystems of innovators. And the innovators can be coming from different industry, industries. They can be blending the different type of innovations and bring them in their own products as experience, as value chain optimization, or anything that would delight the consumer. I believe that corporations can also attract those product, service, or experience-related innovations and assemble them, let's say, if, if they were Lego bricks. Very flexible, powerful, and sticking well together, and at required scale.
0: And on the other hand, what benefits are there for the innovators? Why should they start working with a large FMCG?
1: Right. Obviously, the benefits for innovators also exist. By the way, there is a common belief that innovators are more interested in getting access to large customers at scale, financial and human resources, and therefore should be prepared for all sorts of compromises than corporate does. Yeah. I believe actually that this is not going well, A, this is not necessarily true, and two, if this is true, it is going to change pretty fast in certain areas. So, mm-hmm. Today, for an innovator, there are definitely advantages of working with a large client because it allows them to build a scalable customer base. Obviously, working with a large customer gives you a reference for future sales. It gives you access to some fantastic talent groups. It gives you an opportunity to develop a very attractive retail channel or go much broader geographically if your product or your solution is very successful as large customers do want larger utilization of the same innovations. So, definitely the right advantages for innovators to work with corporations. The thing is... Mm -hmm. Today, it is extremely hard for innovators to work with corporations.
0: Yes, from a cultural standpoint, process standpoint. Exactly. From
1: the speed standpoint, from the decision standpoint, as many innovators, and we work with many of those, they are just amazingly smart people. Some of them are familiar with how corporate world works, but most of them have no idea how it is working in corporations, what are some of their processes, how even to get in touch with right people, how do you follow up, how do you manage those projects with them, and how you actually even clarify what is needed from you. It is not so obvious for innovators and some of the governance that corporations are putting in place, which had a lot of sense and are possible when they speak and when they work with large suppliers, they are extremely difficult to put in place by innovators. At the end, both have a lot of benefits of working with each other, but there is something bigger that I believe and I can um, talk to you in a few minutes about, which is what these partnerships could do for all of us for a bigger purpose, for a bigger impact, and for a more positive advancement for people, for society, for the business, for the environment. Mm -hmm. But let's speak about it in a few minutes.
0: Well, yeah, we can go straight into it. Well, related to this, I think that this question will lead us to what you were just saying now of how can they have a bigger impact on economy, on society, etc.? What's actually needed, what's a secret recipe, if there is one, to make these partnerships between big FMCGs and innovative companies successful?
1: Well, I wish there was a secret recipe. And (laughs) if I had one, I can tell you I wasn't going to tell it. (laughs) maybe I would. But let's say it this way. There are five essential ingredients that can help companies to make partnerships successful. The first one is focus, the second one is clarity, the third one is choice, the fourth one is strategy, mm-hmm. and the fifth one is orchestration. Mm-hmm. Let me give you a couple tweaks around each of them. On focus, it is extremely important to decide which challenges you would partner on, both for corporates and for uh, startups or scale-ups. Not all issues need external help, in corporations and many amazing solutions can be found by mobilizing internal company talents and internal innovation assets. So what corporations need to do is establish a clear focus for their strategic innovation agenda mm-hmm. and what inside the innovation agenda the company would do internally and what are the areas for which they absolutely need external innovators help. That's the focus. The second one, clarity. We need to be clear about what is the mission and vision of partnership success. It starts from there. And this is the number one complaint of innovators. They are all speaking about the lack of understanding of the objectives and expectations from partner relationships. You can imagine how much frustration it is driving for them. So, before engaging in the work with external innovators, Mm -hmm. I would suggest that corporations clearly define what are the key objectives, how fast they should be achieved, at what scale, and this gives already great guidelines to the innovator. Mm -hmm. The number three is choice. Companies need to be selective about which innovators to partner with. Yeah, We spoke about the cultural feed, we spoke about the strategic feed. Um, there are many, many areas where um, innovators can work with one corporation very successfully, but not with another one. And the thing is, there is an abundance of innovators today with huge differences in the value proposition, in the shins and their capabilities, their, um, let's say, operational footprint. And this is a critical step for partnership success to define what is important for you. And then making very early go-no-go decisions. So, this means that instead of letting the partnership go into the wall, the management needs to be able to objectively assess which innovators offer the greatest strategic value to the company and which innovators have a cultural fit to bring this strategic value to life. So, this is choice, Mm -hmm. right? The fourth one is strategy not leave the partnership relationship, develop on itself, to some kind of evolution. It needs to be part of um, strategic thinking, and companies should decide what strategic value can be achieved through this external innovation collaboration, and what is a joint strategy for partnership development. And I'm saying this is a joint strategy, and definitely each company would have defined its own part of it, but both need to be in agreement. What they want to achieve together, how they would play. For example, the innovator may need to be ready to operate a desired scale immediately, or it may require some customized support and development to scale up. All the things are a part of the strategy, what they would do, how they would do, and where they would see the um, partnership to develop in the future. And the last one is orchestration. Running a partnership program uh, requires a full attention. Executing it with innovator needs to be carefully orchestrated. Most innovators would operate really differently from typical corporations. Mm-hmm. And they also can deliver results at much faster pace, right? Yeah. However, for the partnership to yield the expected benefits, both parties need to play in sync. Call. So this would mean that some of them would need to evolve some internal policies, some processes, and ways of working. It is as if they were working as one team. And actually it's not even as if, they need to be working as one high-performing team on Mm -hmm. the issue, on the challenge or an opportunity that they have identified together and that they are structurally and strategically uh, working to achieve. That means as well for corporations to accept that always done it this way mindset, Is sitting on their way to growth, yeah. Um, And this is something that they would need to change.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, fantastic. And is there anything else that you would add? You mentioned before about having a, a larger impact on society. Anything along these lines that a successful partnership can bring?
1: Oh, thank you for reminding me this one, Daniel. You're welcome. Yes. Above it all, both companies need to define why why they want to partner. I like this quote from Simon Sinek, who said very rightly, the goal of the business should not be to do business with anyone who simply wants what you have. So in company, in a company that I run, we believe in potential to uplift positive impact for society, for the business, for environment, from disruptive ideas. This means that this passion um, in entrepreneurs both from corporations and nimble companies, can turn into a creative way to solve the most complicated problems and do it at scale. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be fantastic if we could connect the most creative, the most entrepreneurial and the most focused folks in the business and make them work on some of the challenges that we are facing either in our everyday life or that we will be facing tomorrow on the technologies that we will need to work in the future or in something that we will not see but our kids would and creating a workplace that will be absolutely fascinating regardless whether you work in the corporation or for a nimble player that everyone can have an impact on positive advancement of our society, of our business and of our environment. That's something which is much bigger, the five ingredients for success that I stated before. That would also mean that for some innovators, it is not a good idea to partner with certain corporations because they don't have an aligned why. They don't have a why that is complementing each other and which is helping them to achieve a bigger, bigger purpose. So, that's why what uh, we do is bring together entrepreneurially-minded people from multi-billion companies and startups, scale-ups, or small businesses, and we help them. We help them to develop partnerships that lead to disruptive market growth and that lead them to positive impact on the way we live, on the way we work and on the way that we consume and on the way that we treat this planet around us.
0: Mm-hmm. Very interesting Olga and I mean this conversation was fantastic so thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you Daniel it was a pleasure speaking to you today.
0: Yeah and I must say if anyone wants to know more about how to build a successful partnership I think that I can give some insight, but I think that Olga is the person to go to. So thanks to all our listeners for joining us and we'll see you on the next edition of the podcast.
1: Thank you, Daniel. Take a lot of care.